last week we looked at this guy named Gideon. Remember that? And Gideon was um, uh, a young man who was uh, uh, kind of anxious and fearful because of all the oppression that was going on in his life and all around him. And he was hiding, threshing wheat because he feared the Midianites. And uh, God showed up. Remember that? God showed up and said, um, hey, I'm going to use you. And, and then Gideon took some time to explain to God. I don't know if you've ever done this before. He took some time to explain to God why he had chosen the wrong person. And then he, he took some time to, to rehearse all of his inadequacies. Here's all the reasons why I'm not the right person for the job. And uh, God did to him what he does to you and me, ignored it, and just went right on. And we feel like, well, I only have like 5% of what it would take to get the job done. But let me let you in on something. 5% and God is enough. 2% and God is enough. 0% and God is enough. And so God said, here's what we're going to do. And so he kept telling him, go in the strength that you have. So that was kind of you know, a battle cry for us last week. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. You may not feel like you have enough. You may not feel like you have all the courage. You may not feel like you've got it all together. But whatever you do have, go in the strength of it. But he had another hurdle to overcome. Uh, in fact, using a track and field analogies, it was, it was more than a hurdle. It was more like a pole vault. It was more like he needed to spring himself over a 15-foot bar because the next thing, the next problem he had was this greeting that the angel gave him. So I want to remind you of the greeting that the angel gave. Uh, he said, the Lord is with you. And uh, by the way, uh, if we, yeah, you got it. Good job. The, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of fearless courage. That was the last thing he felt like. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of fearless courage. That's how the Amplified Bible uh, the NIV words it like this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, that was his next hurdle he had to overcome because Gideon had to decide if how God saw him was actually correct. He had to make a decision if the way God viewed him was the correct way or the way Gideon viewed himself. And guess what? You and I come to that crisis of belief every single day. God gives us assignments. God wants to use us. And we, we say, I don't know how you could use me. And so we want to tell God all the reasons why we're the wrong choice, all the reasons why we're inadequate. God says, go on the strength that you have. And then we have to deal with greetings, mighty warrior. And we have to decide, is God's view of us correct? And if it is correct, then we have to move forward in the knowledge that God sees something in us that we most certainly do not see in ourselves. Does that make sense? That crisis of belief that you hit every day. And, and like all the teachings of God, we come to this. I know you're like me. You, you want some magical fix. You know, you want some, hey, is there a magical potion I could drink or magic wand you could wave over me? And, oh, I would be this mighty man of valor and I would feel like everything that God says I am. But there isn't. What God always offers us is a process. He's always offering us a process of maturing and growing in faith. And faith is believing that what God says is true. Did you catch that? Faith is believing that what God says is true. Better. Here's something we're going to talk about today that can help us grow in our faith more efficiently in the Lord. And it's confession. We're going to talk about confess, which actually means to agree with God. 
there's, there's, the New Testament is written in, in primarily Greek. And most of us here, maybe none of us, can read Greek and understand it fluently. So it got translated into English, which is fine. And that word that we use, confess, there actually means to agree with or to say the same thing as. Very important. To agree with or say the same thing as. That's what confess means. We have to say the same thing as God. Now, usually when we hear the word confess or confession, it has kind of a negative tone to it, doesn't it? I mean, if you corner somebody and say, you need to confess. What are we asking them to do generally? We're asking them to admit of some wrongdoing that they have done. But really, confession is to agree with God and say the same thing he says. Now, you may think, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not saying the same thing as God. I'm confessing my wrongdoing. I'm making a confession to God. But I want us to pause and think about this for a minute so we understand what confession is. Let me ask this question. Is there any people on planet Earth doing sinful things that they do not think is sinful? Yeah. Is there anything that our culture teaches that says this is not sin? I mean, we can think of lots of things, can't we? I mean, think of all the sexual immorality that's rampant around the world. And, by the way, just want you to know this, because I, I always crack up because we say, the world's never been as bad as it is today. And I always say, read your Old Testament. Read your Old Testament. This is nothing new. So there's fornication, homosexuality, and adultery, and, and uh, pedophilia, and incest, and the list goes on and on as sexual impurities. And, and there'd be people who would say, I don't think some of these things are wrong. I do want you to know this because it cracks me up. Even people who don't believe in God have a moral line. Did you know that? And what they will say is, everything above this is okay. Now, your line may be here and theirs is here, but they have no tolerance for what's below here because they got a line. And although they get mad at you for having a line, they have a line too. Everybody has a line. I was watching the news about a year ago, and there was a, a gentleman about 40 and a lady about 20, and they wanted to get married. This is a news show. They seem like sane people. They, they present themselves very well. They're very well spoken. And you think, well, you know, why couldn't, there's 20 years age difference between, well, why couldn't they get married? We all know somebody's, you know, 20 years age difference, no big deal. Well, the problem was, is that he was her biological father, okay? Now, that's called incest, and, but they said, we love each other like a husband and wife, and we want to get married. Well, if you listen to the culture, love is love, isn't it? And people ought to love whoever they want to love. But there are people who say that who say, well, not that kind of love. Why? Because everybody has a line. And so when we think about what goes in the world, I, I bet you know somebody, now I'm sure you've never done this, but I bet you know somebody that's stolen something from work. And if you said, you need to really repent for stealing that, they'd say, oh, that wasn't stealing. I've done so much work for that company that they didn't compensate me for. This is very little payment. You know, I didn't, I didn't steal. I, I self-compensated, Okay. There's all kinds of bashing of rich people. If you steal from rich people, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. Or a rich corporation or anything like that. But God still calls stealing, stealing. I always crack up in politics on both sides of the aisle. First of all, the people who are holding political office, most of them are multimillionaires or more. Are you aware of that? And then I see them, you know, bashing rich people. I'm thinking, boy, you don't have a real connection to how the rest of us world lives, do you? 
And so it was uh, the Democrat uh, uh, debates. You know, they were all back to rich people, rich people need to do this. And, and uh, Pete Buttigieg said something that I thought got him. He said, I think I'm the only one on this stage that isn't a multimillionaire. Isn't it interesting how we think who's rich and who isn't? Uh, then I saw um, Michael Bloomberg. He was bashing rich people. And I thought, I didn't know this. I said, I told Darlene, we were watching that, and I said, I'm sure he's worth $100 million or more. Well, I looked it up. He's worth $65 billion. I don't know who you're back. When you're $65 billion rich, I don't know what rich people you're talking about <laughs> above there. So if we would steal from them, that would be no big deal because they got plenty of money. They're not going to miss it if we steal from a corporation or we do whatever. But the Bible says stealing, stealing. So we have all kinds of, of ideas about what is okay. And so you say, what's your point? I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting thing to talk about. Now I actually have a point. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, God's so good. This is, enough, this is a verse, enough of a verse to fall in love with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will what? Forgive us our sins. I feel like, you know, the, the Passover, that, that should have been enough. But he does more. He not only forgives our sins, but he cleanses us and purifies us from how much unrighteousness? All of it. And so we confess our sins, and he forgives us our sins, and cleanses us from all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. Now, how am I going to confess my sins before God and get forgiven and be cleansed if I don't think anything I'm doing is sin? Somewhere along the line, I have to agree with God. I have to look and say, well, but God says this is wrong. See, we've painted a picture, generally not the church in general, but the world does. The, the, the world loves Jesus when it talks about his great love, and his great love is almost incomprehensible. But they think that he has no standards for anything. But do you remember when Jesus was there at the woman that was caught in adultery? And you remember the story? You know, what's the law say? The law says stone her to death. And Jesus said, let's go for it. So you that's without sin, cast the first stone. You who have not broken the law of Moses, cast the first stone. And everybody threw down the rocks. There was one person there who could have thrown a stone, Jesus, but he didn't. And he looks at the woman, he says, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. He said, neither do I accuse you, nor do I condemn you. I don't think we have an understanding of how powerful that is. Neither do I condemn you. But do you remember what he said to her? Now go and sin no more. That, that is sin. And you know why Jesus hates sin? Not a sinner. He hates sin because sin in the end produces, does anybody remember? Death. And he's a giver of life. And so he doesn't, he doesn't want you to experience death. He wants you to experience life. So he's going to steer you away from sin. Because he's a giver of life. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it to its fullest measure. Have it overflowing. Have it abundantly. And he knows sin will counteract that. And so he wants you to have life. So we have to agree with God or we won't even think we've got anything to confess as sin. And so we're agreeing with God. We're saying the same thing as God. And it's a pattern. 
And we need to follow that pattern and get the word of God in our minds and in our hearts so that we can understand the mind and heart of God. There's a famous self-help verse in Proverbs 23.7. We don't have an overhead for that, but Proverbs 23.7. It only really works well in the King James or New King James. If you look it up in other translations, it doesn't have the bite to it. Uh, And by the way, it's a horrible self-help verse because it doesn't mean what it says, uh, what they say it says. Um, The King James or the New King James will say this, uh, as a person or as a man or as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so the self-help program is, hey, if you can just think and believe and trust, you can develop and be whoever you think you can be. Just get a vision for it in your mind. That's not what it's talking about. If you read it all in context, by the way, when you study the Bible, uh, teachers always tell you, keep it in context, see what's all going around there. And so I'm going to give it to you in context. In context, it says this, don't eat the food of a stingy man. Because he's always thinking about the cost. And although when you walk into his party, he says, hey, eat up, drink up, do whatever. He's watching. He goes, that's the third soda they've drank. That's the 15th little, you know, pig in a blanket they've eaten. And so he's adding up all the cost. He says he's always thinking about the cost. Though he says eat up and enjoy, his heart is not with you. So what's it saying? As a person thinks in his heart, so they really are. The outward expression would be that they're a very generous person. But in the heart, they're stingy. So he says, don't eat the food of a stingy man. He's always thinking about the cost. His heart is not with you. Now, the next verse we're going to read could look like it's a contradiction, but I want to explain that to you. We all have social norms. Somebody has probably come to you and said, hey, I got a new haircut. And you're looking at it, and you're thinking to yourself, I hope they didn't pay for that. Okay? But what are you going to say? Well, sometimes we say, oh, you know, nice haircut. Okay, well, that's lying, but we say that anyway because that's a social norm. But I will tell you, it wasn't what came out of your mouth that was the truth. It was what you were thinking in your heart. You got it? But that's kind of social norms. But if you live with a person and follow them around and you stayed with them for a month and all the social norms fell off and everybody got comfortable and we all just started really talking what's on our mind, what's on our heart, you will know by what comes out of their mouth what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their mind. And so that's what we look at in Luke 6.45. It says a good man, a good person, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Makes sense, doesn't it? And an evil man, an evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so what we have to do is we have to make sure if we're going to accelerate and grow in God is that we know what God thinks, how he sees things. In Psalm 19, 9 through 11, again, no overhead for those who like to take notes, it it tells us that the wisdom and word of God is to be more desired than gold. And not just a little gold, than much gold. And it's more to be desired than much fine gold. Again, that's Psalm 19, 9 through 11. So we want to get the wisdom of God, the word of God, in our hearts. And the heart's not our muscle in our chest that's pumping blood. It's, we know what we mean when we say heart. Like, oh, I love her with all my heart. We don't mean the muscle in our chest, our being, our, our spirit, our, our mind, all that. 
And so we've got to get the word of God stored up and treasured in our heart so we know how God thinks and how he sees things. See, the fallen condition of us human beings is that we tend to default to the negative and we tend to default to condemnation or condemning. You may live with someone like that. You may have a friend that's like that. And if you are like that, I want to challenge you to unravel that in your life today. At least start the process that you don't default towards the negative or towards condemnation. You, you met people like that, haven't you? Somebody at work says, I just won the publisher's clearinghouse. You know, I won millions of dollars. Somebody said, well, I wouldn't want to win that. Think of all the taxes you'd have to pay on it. Well, first of all, that's dumb. But, you know, again, I'm going to default to something negative. You know, they see a great big old house, a 10,000 square foot. Oh, I wouldn't want a house like that. Who would want to clean that thing? First of all, I want to remind you, if you can afford a house like that, you're not cleaning it, okay? You're not cleaning the thing. Somebody else is cleaning it. Now, you may not want it, but that's not the reason why you should not want it, because you're afraid of cleaning the thing. Okay. So we tend to be negative, and generally our hearts and minds steer towards the bad, and we've got to retrain ourselves. We've got to store up good in our hearts, good in our minds. But we tend to say things like this, I can't, I would never be able to, I am inadequate, I am, and you kind of fill in the blank, you know, I, I don't know what yours is, what your default is. We can say I'm ugly, I'm stupid, unlovable, broken, sinful, awkward, scatterbrained, hated, whatever. I've told you a story before, uh, so I'll make it fast. Our son Mitch, he, he used to spill everything, you know, spill stuff, break stuff. Darlene and I said, we're never going to say to him, you're the one who always spills stuff. You're the one that always breaks stuff because we did not want to log that in his mind. But if it could be dropped, he would drop it. If it could be spilled, he would spill it. But we never put that in his head. He didn't know that that's how he was. And guess what? He grew out of it. I didn't want him to get a mindset that that's who he was. And so be very careful because I know we do it. We do it innocently like, hey, if there's anybody that's going to get hurt, it's my niece Sally here. Well, I don't want to program that into Sally's mind, you know, so... We want to change the way we think. So we also say things like, I'm such a, and then you can fill in, like, I'm such a loser, a failure, a bum, a sinner, a fake, a disaster, a disappointment. You know, we get all these feelings that are going in us. And I'm very, very serious about this, so please listen to me. Very serious about this. God does not say any of those things about you. God does not say any of those things about you. None of them. God says you're his beloved. God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you are adored. He says you're forgiven, you're precious, you're cleansed, you're holy. God says, you know, God says he thinks about us all the time and his thoughts are innumerable and they're all good. Did you hear that? They're all good. His thoughts about you are good. That's what God says. They're all good. He rejoices over us with singing. He calls us the apple of his eye. We are precious in his sight. We sing that little song as a kid. We are precious in his sight. It's true. We are precious in his sight. Romans 3 verse 4 tells us that God is truth and every other human being that disagrees with God is a liar. Want that to soak in. It says, let God be true and every other human being a liar. If you're saying something different than what God says about you, then you're lying. Stop it. 
Stop it. Say what God says about you. Not what your emotions, not what your feelings. But Tracy, you don't know what all I've done. We, we cross that quite often. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, God forgives. He heals. He delivers. He cleanses. He purifies. Just what we read earlier. He forgives all of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I want to challenge you. Gideon had the challenge too. Can I really see myself the way God sees me? You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are purified by the Lord. So sometimes we're our own worst enemy, but we need to learn to agree with God and say the same thing God says. And then also we have the devil. The Bible says, Jesus said there's a devil. Darlene and I used to do these, um, they were called lay witness retreats, and the Methodist church had them. And they would bring in what's called lay ministers, not ordained official ministers. I think we're all ministers, but that's a term that people understand. And so we'd come in. We were part of a team that would go to different churches at times, a couple times a year. And I remember they'd just say, share a little something. So I got up one, one night, and it's just like a three-minute thing. Hey, just want to tell you one thing the Lord's been dealing with me with is to really understand that the devil's real and that he wants to thwart our plans and our growth process and all this and that. Now, by the way, these ministers who brought us in probably wish they wouldn't, though, because as soon as it, it was over and there was a break, a lady came up to me and said, our pastor teaches us that there's no such thing as the devil, that he's not real. I thought, I bet he's happy I said that. And um, he said, I, I don't know what to do with that. I said, well, I, I don't know what to tell you, but you're going to have to have a, continue to have conversations with him because he got tempted in the wilderness by Satan, not by a figment of his imagination. And so Satan is real. And he wants, he is your adversary. The Bible says your adversary, the devil. So this is one time I want you to take it personal. Your adversary, the devil. Is that like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? The Bible says that we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. We are to submit ourselves to God and he will flee from us. But you know what? I don't want to say anything the devil says about me. I don't want to confess. I don't want to agree with the devil. I want to agree with God. I don't even want to agree with my guilty conscience. I want to agree with God. What does God say about all of this? So we're going to see a pattern in Scripture that we can follow to apply to anything. But what we're going to apply it today, this is the most important thing in all eternity that these verses are being applied to. I make no apology for that. I don't, I wouldn't, there's no argument about it. This is the most important thing. These verses are going to show us a pattern on the most important topic in eternity, but a pattern that can be followed for anything. So we find it in Romans, the 10th chapter. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, what does it say? We could read all the other stuff, talking about the law of God and what's God up to. What does it say? And then it says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. If we read the whole chapter, we'd find that Paul and his companions are teaching salvation through Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, okay? And so they're hearing the message of Jesus, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. They're hearing that message and... Guess what? According to the scripture, faith begins to rise up in your heart. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Faith begins to rise up in their heart. So they're saying, let's see what's happening here. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. And then he goes on and says, if you declare, most translations will say confess. Either one's a good one. If you will confess or declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess or confess your faith and are saved. There's a pattern. There's the pattern that we are to follow on any topic in life. Now, now you say, but I'm, a, I'm born again, I love Jesus, I'm going to heaven, I'm a Christian, but I really struggle with this, whatever. Well, here's a pattern to follow. We'll see this. The pattern is this. You plant the word of God in your heart. You plant the word of God, so you keep putting the word in you, and you keep putting the word in you, and you keep putting the word in you. And, you keep, and when you do that, it builds faith. And so we let that word go in there. I, 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 I like to confess things out loud. I like to, uh, when I'm reading through the scripture, I like to listen to somebody read as I follow along. My, my goal for that is twofold. One, uh, faith does come by hearing. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have faith by reading, but faith comes by hearing. And that was the primary way they taught back then. They all didn't have Bibles, so they were hearing the message taught. But also, there's just a fact that the more senses that you get involved in something, the more likely you are to retain it and put it in your heart. So if you're hearing it and you're reading it and you're writing and taking a few notes, all these things that you're engaging helps to lock it in you. And so you want to lock the Word of God in your mind and in your heart. So when that happens, faith begins to rise. So then what happens next is you believe the Word of God. All of a sudden you start believing my sins are forgiven. I, I have been cleansed by God. I, I'm a new creation in Christ. You start believing these things. These are true. You believe the word of God. And then you begin to confess it. You speak it out loud. There are people who want to avoid the confession thing. Uh, and confess means to agree with God or to say the same thing as God. But I want to challenge you not to skip that. Because it's all throughout Scripture. In the creation of the world, did God think or did he say? He said. God spoke. When Jesus went to the fig tree, did he go, I'm, just, I'm thinking something here, I'm sending a message to the fig tree. No, he spoke to it. Then when the disciples were amazed, he said, have faith in God. If you say, if you say, if you say. And so there's value in speech. I've told the story before, so, but uh, some of you may not have heard it. Uh, years ago, we were sitting in a restaurant. I still remember where it was at. It's Bloomington, Indiana. The restaurant's called Chapman's. We're sitting there eating a nice meal, Darlene and I. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, wow, she is really beautiful. And I thought, you know what? It's one thing for me to think it, but I should say it. And so I looked at her and said, honey, you are really beautiful. Now, I just want to ask you something. Which do you think was more valuable to her, me thinking she was beautiful or saying she was beautiful? It's not a trick question, people. You're out, I don't know. No, it's saying it. Say, there's power in saying it. So we, you say it, you speak it. There's power in speech. And so all of us have somebody say something to us that's super negative, and you felt the power of it. Now, that was one time you wish they would have kept their mouth shut and just thought you were ugly, okay, instead of telling you that. And so... But power in words. But when they've said something kind, when they've said something nice, there's been so many times. Uh, when we were first married, I lost a job. You know, again, stories I've told for us, the danger of keeping somebody as long as you've kept me. I don't have new stories. So, so we, I got a, a phone call. It was before caller ID. And I was dumb enough to think you had to answer the phone every time it rang. So I answered the phone. We're late on a payment on something. 
You know, I don't know, if, hopefully you don't know this, but if you ever get behind on bills, they all think that you have a big stash of money, you just don't want to give it to them. So I tell them, I said, I, you can check my bank account. It's not like i got a bunch of money I'm trying to hide from you. I want to pay you worse than you want to get paid. And so we set up something to pay for it, and I felt totally defeated. And um, I hang up the phone, and of course Darlene's aware of what's going on. She's listened to at least half the conversation. She looks at me and she says, honey, we're going to make it. I am not joking. Energy flowed through my body. I felt the power of the spoken word in my body. Now, she would have been very fair to have said, "Uh, Honey, uh, before I married you, I never paid anything late. Uh, Before I married you, I never had bill collectors call. Before I married you, all those were legitimate. All those were true. (sighs) But a wisely chosen word has power. And so she spoke, honey, we're going to make it. And you know what I believed? I believed we were going to make it. And I thought to myself, the whole world may think I'm a loser, but my wife doesn't. Now I don't know what she was thinking in her heart, but I know what came out of her mouth. And so that gave me strength and power. So I want to encourage you to confess the word of God over you. And When your bad pattern of I'm not going to make it or I'm insufficient or I'm a disappointment or I'm a failure or I'm ugly or I'm whatever comes to mind, just stop and say, I'm not going to confess that. I'm going to say what God says about me, that I'm beautiful. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm precious to him. He adores me. Oh, my goodness, he's forgiven me. He's cleansed me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a new creation. You just begin to confess that. I'll tell you something else I'll have. You will feel Faith rise up in your heart from your own words. You don't have to wait for somebody else. When David was in trouble at Ziklag and he lost everything, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so you begin to confess the word of God. And then what happens? You receive what the word of God promises. This topic is on salvation. That this, the actual thing he's dealing with here in Romans 10 is on salvation. That's why I say it is the most important eternal subject ever that we need to respond to. And when we hear the word of salvation, it gets planted in our heart, we believe it, we confess it, then guess what? We are saved. We, we receive eternal life. So here's a little tip to you to help you out. Let's say you're struggling. You could be anything. I just picked guilt for this illustration. Let's say you're struggling with guilt. Could be anger, could be poor self-esteem, whatever. Here's your tip. You go to a web browser and you type in. You type in there, uh, Bible promises about. Do we have that slide there? Bible promises about, there we go, guilt or whatever. Now, I tried this on lots of different things. I just typed Bible promises concerning guilt, anger, poor self-image, whatever. You can just keep typing in, and whole lists of, of sites will come up. And there's probably a few goofy ones on there, but most of them were solid. And you just look, here's 15 verses on overcoming guilt, what the Bible says. Here's... 40 verses about shame and how you're delivered from it. Here's 15 verses about how to have a, 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 a better self-image. By the way, it's not a bad thing to have a good self-image. I know we could take it to extremes, but we should feel good about who we are in Christ. And so you can find those things. You don't have to buy anything. You can just get online and say, well, I don't have a computer. You got a friend? Okay, with a computer, a tablet, a smartphone, just say, hey, you know, type in there what the Bible says about or Bible promises concerning shame or or fear or whatever 
and you'll get plenty of material. Print them out, read them. Now, here's my suggestion to you. You find one that really takes root. Let's say, here's for instance. Let's say you say, I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to live godly. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to really live a godly life. I don't have what it takes. Well, let me tell you what God says. God says that his divine power has given you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. So now, am I going to believe God or am I going to believe myself? I'm going to believe God. And so I'm going to print that verse out. And I'm going to read that. And I'm going to remind myself. I'll put it in my pocket if I have to. If everything, I'm not going to make it. I'm not able to live a godly life. Hold it. God says, he's already given me everything I need that pertains to life and godliness. And this is how you put into practice what we're talking about today. And I will promise you, it will. It will accelerate your growth in God. It will help you have victory over these areas that you've been struggling with if you just get determined. You get determined. You get focused. You say, you know what? I am not going to live any longer like this. I'm not going to live any longer like this. Zig Ziglar, a Christian man who was a motivational speaker, I heard him tell one, speak one day, and he said, I used to go around the country. This is the way he would talk. Braying like a, a mule in the wind. That's what he said. And I'd say, you got to pay the price. He said, I'd get up there and I'd tell people, you got to pay the price. And then one day I thought, you don't pay the price. You enjoy the benefits. You don't have to pay the price to overcome anger. You're going to enjoy the benefit of overcoming anger. You don't have to pay the price for guilt or shame. You're going to enjoy the benefits of it. So get out of your mind. You've got to pay some big price. No, you're going, to, you're going to enjoy the benefit of getting free from all those things. People deal with a guilty conscience. Hebrews tells us that our God is so good that he's washed our body with pure water and even cleansed us from a guilty conscience. You going to agree with God? You're going to say what God says? That's what confession is. And this week, I want to, I want to encourage you, confess everywhere. Confess about everything. You know, we ain't going to make it. But oh, yes, we are. We're not only going to make it, we're going over the top. The Bible says, the Spirit of God will cause me to fight through an army and leap over a wall. We're going to make it. We're going over. We, we are victorious in Christ. And you just begin to confess and confess and confess.